Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why would you want a metronome when you're talking? You know what I mean? That was my stomach. Good day to you. And welcome to Sean Keebney's Creative Cul-de-Sac, another episode of this by no surely landmark cultural moment in most people's lives. Um, you might notice that my voice is considerably lower in frequency than usual. Well spotted. That... You're absolutely right again. I've been drinking. Now, I don't like how quickly you jump to that conclusion, but here we are. Um, you made the right summation, if that's the right word. Uh, I was on the piss last night. Um, though it was my, my very good friend Steve Stone, and he's a hedonist. He likes to party, and he's always looking for an excuse. I'm sure you won't mind me saying that, will you, Steve? You know, he's a, he's a good-time boy, and he prescribed a great night out for me uh, as a sort of late stag do uh, uh, my wife and I got married last year um, so it got it got relatively messy but not too bad so the reason I'm, I'm not going to go on about it I'm going to belabor the point but that's why my voice is right down here I've just remembered as well I was going to do some ASMR today I was going to experiment with ASMR because I've got a sort of got a hunch an inclination that that could be where i could hit some serious cash pay down just me sitting here in my underpants uh, working my way through um a jar of pickles you know tax deductible pickles for that matter but i can't be asked going back downstairs now for the pickles so we'll do that next week incidentally um i've slightly changed um arena today i'm still in the top room no last time i was in this is fascinating isn't it i was in our bedroom it was a bit noisy because there was some work going on outside today it's a saturday night now i'm upstairs in the top room listen to him listen to him with the top room gene he's got a top room <laughs> i've lost my job so you know we could get um a lodger up here but unfortunately i'm at the desk and it's not like hemingway's desk that's an aeroplane. I've not got that tracker app, so I can't tell you which one it is. It looks like an easy jet from under here. Um, it's more like, if anything, it's like Wayne Hemingway's desk. It's a fucking mess. It's awful. And you know what they say about, you know, like a messy house, messy mind. They're absolutely right. It's a shithole. And uh, I'm surprised I get anything done. Actually, I don't. So anyway, that's set the scene nicely. Now, for those that don't know what this podcast really 
consists of, for the most part, is ideas unrealized, okay? And I, I'm sitting next to my um, uh, mahogany trunk of ideas. There's approximately like uh, 40 or 50 notebooks in there. Uh, that I riffle through every week. Not just the notebooks, though. All, obviously, all the stuff that's on my computer, that's uh, all the unrealized ideas on there, on my iPhone, etc. Uh, I do that for a few minutes. We get a guest on. They do that as well. And then we cap off, hopefully, with your ideas that, that are just sitting around doing nothing. Okay. So today, what I'm thinking is, is I'm going to hit you with some straight-up dad gags, uh, from the archive uh, not stand up this week I'm going to delve back to 2003 to a comedy and in inverted commas character that I used to do on Radio 104.9 XFM in the, uh, on, the, on overnight so it's possible that some of that material did hit ears but it would have been about 9 or 10 about 20 past 4 in the morning on a Thursday in 2003 so that's a thrill and you know what I've, I've also got Murray Lachlan Young Will Frown uh, or encourage. I, if I can find it, I've got a poem about fear. So that's exciting, isn't it? So here's a couple of straight up dag gags from the pages. Hey, um, I saw that terrifying Stephen King film last night about the guy who works as a software support in Slough. You seen it? It. <laughs> exactly. Here's another one. Are you sure Churchill will appear on the next £5 note? Oh, yes. Mm. I mean, that Churchill uh, bulldog uh, back uh, parcel shop of the car ad hasn't been on the television, the direct line ad, for at least seven or eight years. So it ages itself quite a lot, that. Oh, I'll tell you what I thought I would do as well. I ripped this uh, out of the Daily Mirror. Let's have a look. Tuesday, 22nd of the 6th, 2021, right? And I, I was going to deliver this, more of an observation than a joke on the program. I didn't get round to it. So I thought I'd just hurl that in. If you don't have any objections. The headline is, COVID snuffs out cake fun. You can see, you can, you can see the story from there, really. COVID-19 is killing the tradition of blowing out candles on a birthday cake, a survey found. Some 58% of parents fear it will spread the virus. The poll of 2000 also found traditional games petering out, as 39% of children have never played past the parcel, and 45% don't know how to pin the tail of the donkey. Probably would have said something about Matt Everett looking a bit like a horse there. Past the parcel. It always... I, I, I actually, I just thought this. In all my time, either trying to um, sort out birthday uh, parties for kids, not that I ever had that much involvement, or doing them myself, or being part of a, a party as a child, it always seemed to me that past the parcel was utterly pointless because it was rigged towards the birthday, wasn't it? Always. Certainly in latter years, when the kids, when my older kids were young, they'd go to a party, it was always the kid whose birthday it was who'd fucking get the parcel at the end anyway. It'd all get rigged to drove me up the wall that kids today man they don't they just don't the they don't understand life anymore do they I mean past the parcel rigged and it's probably like setting them up for a 
job as a DHL delivery guy as well, which is probably good experience. You know, you get to the end of past the parcel and uh, you open the last layer and it's just a card saying, you know, we tried, but you were out, so we've taken it back to the depot. That'd be quite funny. Just come up with this stuff, you know. What I'd actually written as a sort of punchline to this COVID uh, puts paid to uh, cakes, uh, birthday candles being blown out was, well, you never get your wish anywhere, do you? Which is true. Unless someone's wish was to infect nine or ten other people with COVID-19, of course. So, bit of material there from just last week. Uh, a lot of it's a lot older. Like this, as I'm saying, for instance, right, uh, I, I, this is a character that I used to do, and this is uh, very accurately aged by myself, uh, dated, should I say, Wednesday, July the 2nd, 2003. Reverend Colin Falafel was a character, I, I'd say successful, but there's no way to quantify that because I, it was just, it's like, it was like uh, fly tipping into the Grand Canyon, doing material... <laughs> XFM at four o'clock in the morning. Who would ever know if it had landed, if anybody thought it was funny or any good at all? Because, you know, I really, essentially, I felt that that, that program was more of me managing the, some of the more mentally ill members of society through the, the darkest parts of the night. Because most of my missives were from people who clearly were struggling with bipolarity or very sad taxi drivers. I told you that story, I think, once years ago about uh, I used to start my XFM program with a snippet of The Night Shift by the Commodores because it was about five past three in the morning when I'd do this. On the night shift, oh, the night shift, yeah. And I'd sing over the track, right? And then we'd, you know, smash into some snow patrol or something. Uh, and one day, uh, this thoroughly, unbelievably exciting thing happened uh, I had a, a regular called Sid, I think his name was, who was a taxi driver, not given to bullshit, Sid. And he'd contact me a lot and we'd have chats, you know, because we were both lonely. Because there's nobody else in the studio but myself. And uh, one of these days he said, you ain't got to fucking believe this, Sean. I said, what? He said, oh, I had that Spike Lee in the back of the car, right? Taking him to the Mondrian Hotel, somewhere like that. I made that bit up. And he had a lovely young lady with him, right? Just now, about four o'clock in the morning. And we had you on. And I said, you're joking. He said, no, no, we did. And you're never going to believe what happened next. I said, what? He said, you started singing the night shift, the Commodores, right? And he he sort of taps me on the shoulder and he says, does this guy do this all the time? And I say, yeah. He said, why is this guy murdering the Commodores? And that is, I see, I that's, that must have been two thousand and two. I still still reckon that that's my greatest achievement. I interviewed Spike Lee only a couple of years ago, the Black Klansman film, and I utterly I stiffed it completely. Zara, my producer at the time, would attest to this. Awful interview. I just shat myself. I was like, I'm in a room with Spike Lee. You know, this guy's. Chops are unbelievable. I, I don't be, I don't belong here, and it turns out that I didn't. Anyway, so one of the things that I used to do, one of the fly tips into the Grand Canyon, was this character, Reverend Colin Falafel. Now, producer Ben, what I want you to do is slide a little bit of, uh, uh, mo mo not not mawkish, um, 
sort of depressing sounding organ music, pipe organ music, like a hymn or something, like we're in church, okay? You don't have to put any reverb on it or anything like that. And basically, Reverend Colin, Reverend Colin Falafel did a TV roundup. But what I must warn you about is, it was, it was 2003, uh, I was a lot less PC then, the world was a lot less PC then, and I, I winced at some of the things that I wrote, but I'm not going to shy away from reading it, because that was the person I was at the time. It's not the person I am now. And he sounded like this. Good morning, and welcome to the TV Roundup with me, Reverend Colin Falafel. Remember Mark Fowler in EastEnders, who spent the last five years on screen frowning and coming off his mic drunk? Well, you'll be pleased to know that the actor who played him, Todd Carty, is finally off the dole and has joined that other greatly depressing British TV institution, The Bill. See his debut on ITV at 8pm. Proof indeed that soap actors don't die, they just go to the other side. Straight after, it's the turn of another ex-Eastender to show us his acting metal. Ross Kemp, a.k.a. violent, brooding hardman nutter Grant Mitchell, appears in Ultimate Force on ITV at 9. Now released from the shackles of his Eastender's alter ego, what role does he play in his SAS drama? That's right, a violent, brooding hardman nutter, but with a twist. This time he's a goodie. Finally, on BBC One at 10.35, it's Imagine, the Stella McCartney story, a profile on Sir Paul's eldest daughter that asks the searching question, what is it like to be Stella McCartney? Let's see. Daughter of a billionaire, living it up on the jet set with a piss-easy job surrounded by lackeys and free drugs. I'd say it's pretty bloody fantastic. So there it is, my TV roundup for today, Wednesday, the July the 2nd. Of the. This is me, Reverend Colin Falafel, bidding you love, peace, and a great night's telly. You know, so he was quite venomous, really, and very unpleasant. So there's that. That's, um, I think, is it a fly bee still going? I must get the app. What I'll do is I'll get the app, and then I'll be able to tell you. It'll be fascinating. When we're interrupted by an aeroplane, exactly what aeroplane it is, uh, you know, what size, what is a 737, whatever is it, you know. I can give you all the deets. Now, Producer Ben, you're going to have to cut some out here because I, there's going to be a bit of a gap, right? Maybe people like gaps, I don't fucking know. You know what I have got written down here in one of my notebooks? Uh, it's an A5 notebook, Twin Wirebound from Sylvine. Uh, I don't know what vintage it is. Stand up February the 4th. There we go. I think this is 2013, not long after my marriage collapsed. Um... I've written down. I, I will go over the course of the next few months. I will. I will give you hit you up with some of the these absolute brilliant stand up nuggets. Like I remember that I did a great. Uh, I thought at the time a really great um, little joke about chicken, and about about um, about diets. And I did a little little bit in the stand up, which was something like, "Oh, you know, doing the five two, doing the five two. You should do all this stuff. You know, I can't eat anything." For the next 48 hours, can't eat the bloody thing. She's got to drink a glass of water. That's all I can do, right, and a rice cake. But on Saturday, I can eat a leg of lamb. I can eat seven bags of Maltesers. Uh, you know, 75 pizzas. It's fucking great, you know. And then I would do that. I've done the GI diet, which is, I think I said something awful, like sucking off a GI or something. Not funny stuff, really, is it? And then I said, oh, I'll tell you what I did do. I found this fantastic diet, the raw chicken diet. It's brilliant. Uh, I, I uh, once I ate a little bit of raw chicken and I lost uh, 16 pounds in 36 hours and that that went down to roars of laughter uh, but I've also written here 
uh, intriguingly, Tommy Cooper porn. I don't know whether I worked that idea up, but I, I certainly remember the beginnings of it, you know. The idea of what it would be like if Tommy Cooper did porn, you know. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, just like that. Oh, just like that. Not like that. Not like that. Just like that. Oh, yeah. Oh. Very disturbing. Very, very disturbing indeed. That's the problem, isn't it, with, with me, is that it, what we do start to understand is that it's, it is mostly filth. It's mostly filth. There's not much else there. What I'm trying desperately to do is to find my fear poem to close uh, the session. So let me see if I can do it. So, let, you know, um, that this this is going to be the end of, of my segment of of, uh, of today's, of this week's Sean Keaton's Cul-de-Sac podcast. Plenty more shite where this came from. Coming up, an, in, an, in, an incredible guest, uh, a great booking, um, you're going to hear the intro in a little bit and um, I just thoroughly hope you enjoy it and the detritus from their notebooks but for now I'm going to close as I say with this it is a poem and it's simply entitled Fear and I, I, again to give you a bit too much context I, I did I remember writing this when I was in the Lake District on my own having a bit of a mini meltdown um, just after my marriage collapsed I don't know why I keep talking about things like this but in some ways it's important so here we go this is the poem fear all my life i've been filled with fear first fear when you're far then fear when you're near fear of the unknown fear of the known fear of being fat or being just skin and bone fear of not finding my calling in life fear of not finding a suitable wife fear of not being enough of a man fear of staying so much that i ran fear of contracting a horrid disease fear of not doing just what i damn please afraid of the dark afraid of the light afraid of the one in the middle twilight afraid of surrendering all of my heart to the point that i tore mine and your heart apart afraid of the losing afraid of the win afraid of the yang and afraid of the yin afraid that my loved ones could die any day to the point that i frittered the present away i'm scared of offending or seeming vanilla even getting lost on the way to the villa the big one of course is the fear of my death the fear of the gasp of the last fearful breath a fear that has stalked me since i was a child and robbed me of feeling young dangerous and wild jfk got it just right when he said that the only fear to fear was the dread he said it in words that were far more iconic i fear i misquoted him which is ironic. What have I seen through the prism of fear except for diminishing returns every year? I'm finally learning that it's not worth the stress to squander your life in a panicky mess. Face up to the facts, there's a truth here to cop, that we're shadows that fade, that we're bubbles that pop. Whatever you're fearing, it can't be as bad as the feeling of fear that is making you sad. So face up to the fear, jab it hard in the eye and say you once ruled me and then say goodbye. I fear that that's made the podcast, this section, a little bit long, but there you go. Uh, enjoy the rest of the program. Today, 
on Sean Keaveney's Creative Cul-de-Sac, we welcome a man who I have been closely studying all my life, all my adult life. That makes him sound like a sociology textbook, but he's not. From humble Yorkshire beginnings, he swiftly rose to become the North East's, then Britain's top light entertainer, alongside his partner in Brine, Bob Mortimer. His achievements could be described as currently endless. Shooting stars of the smell of, Randall and Hopkirk, millions of other TV and radio endeavours, and that's all aside from his main passion of art, birds, flowers and cats in bomber jackets. What an intoxicating pleasure it is to welcome Vic Reeves, a.k.a. Jim Moyer. I, are you there? I had to run off to the front door. The postman just knocked. <laughs> the postman always knocks once and then he buggers off, especially if it's Hermes. Um, I, I mean, is, would it be too intrusive to ask, you know, what was delivered? Because th- that's what the listener's wondering. Well, uh, shall we have a look? I mean, we can look and we can always edit, edit it out if it's too private. No, it's not private. I can tell you it's, it's uh, my wife's contact lenses. Uh, <laughs> Nancy's contact lenses. Something else for her, which comes from Garstang. Oh, it's, that's it. I think it's some lipstick. You can erase all that. It's really uninteresting, no, isn't it? No, 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 no. That's the, it's the minutiae that we're, we're mining here. Garstang lipstick. <laughs> lipstick, yeah. She, she's uh, got her own range of lipsticks. So that's some of them and some contact lenses. Write that down in your notebooks, everyone. <laughs> Uh, that that does sound like a smell of thing. Garstang lipstick. Garstang. It's in Yorkshire, isn't it? Garstang. I'm I'm guessing Lancashire actually. Lancashire. We but are Lancashire, aren't you? It's me. You're about to hear an advert. Now, if you want to listen to the podcast ad free and my Friday radio show, all you got to do is sign up to the Patreon if you fancy, not if you don't. Uh, but if you do, the link is in the episode. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Notes. Carry on. Jim's really got this idea, and um, he's like me. He's he's got hundreds of bloody notebooks full of detritus and creative ideas. So we we're, we're essentially going to give the this part of the podcast over to that. But I do still want to get a couple of questions in. Like, have you? I find it hard to imagine that you have. But have you ever suffered from a creative block? No, not enough time in the day. I- I wake up in the night with too many ideas, then can't get back to sleep, and quite often have to get up in the uh, the middle of the night and put them into practice because I can't get back to sleep unless. Which takes us to directly to the notebooks, really. So I have to get, either put them in practice or write them down in a notebook. So okay, never had a block. That's fantastic to hear, and especially for the purposes of this podcast, Sean Keaveney's Creative Cul-de-Sac. I'm often, I often find myself in my own cul-de-sac, but Jim's, it's just like a, a super highway of concepts and ideas, which we're going to go to now. Yeah. So hit, give me an idea, Jim. I've got notebooks which go back to the early 80s. 
No. Yeah. I'm just even with you here. These these historical artifacts are here. Uh, yeah, I've got them all in front of me. Look, look, here's one here. Look, and this is this actually says property of Vic Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> it does down the spine. Is it a pink spine? I'm colorblind, but look, can you see that? It's blue. yeah, yeah. And that's it. Look at that, Vic Reeves. So, and this is 1997. Okay, so the, we're we're talking sort of uh, shooting stars era here, aren't we? A little bit, yeah. The smell of and stuff. Um, if I open it up, I've had I've got about oh maybe a hundred, two hundred books, and um, so I had a quick look through some of them to see if I could find some vaguely interesting ideas. And there's one here called "This Never Turned Into Anything," but it's, it's uh, maybe a sketch or it could be a series. Lucky lady. So imagine the lucky lady. She's rambling in the Pennines. She falls down a mine shaft. Boing! She bounces back out. <laughs> a passing circus <laughs> trampolinist asks her if she's lost, if she's seen his lost trampoline, <laughs> which is obviously falling down the mine shaft. But imagine if I think it's quite a good, um, you know, maybe sitcom off sketch. Someone who's really lucky, but in the yes. outrageous ways, or maybe if you fell off. Um, if you fell off the top of the Eiffel Tower onto a passing marshmallow truck, that would be really good luck, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, and this this runs and runs, doesn't it? This is the, the this is the pay dirt that all uh, you know, so comedians and comic writers are looking for—a sketch that they can do again and again. And so, this is this is perfect. So, we, I mean, because th- this is it. I mean, do do you remember be, being a kid, like where and when? this all started for you like because the thing i love about your humor is that it's it's child like but w- w- were you funny or, or looking for surreal funny ideas from being little uh, well according to me mother when i was uh, in a pram in leeds i used to like think it was hilarious to call little woods the shop big woods so it's either <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a uh, a very, as he said, very childlike. But I used to think it was hilarious. So I suppose it's just doing the opposite of whatever you should do and making the comedy from that. Maybe that's a, that's brother. That's the earliest. Yeah, I'm I'm saying joke in massive quotation marks. Because it, the thing that's interesting to me is personally to me, and this is why it's a thrill to have you on this. In all in in all seriousness, it's a thrill because as a as a family, when I was at eighteen. That was when we first saw uh, Vic Reeves' Big Night Out. And we would gather as an entire family. So my, my little brother would have been 12. I would have been 18. And my mum and dad came in to watch it as well because they're quite young mums and dads, you know. So they would have been like about 40-ish. And, and we'd all sit there like around a radiogram, you know. And, and whatever else we were doing, our kid would usually be like playing with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I'd be trying to play the guitar and ignoring my parents. But on what I think it was Friday nights, Channel 4, We'd all gather and watch it, and we'd all piss ourselves laughing. And and that's because that humour that you guys have got is very similar to to the kind of humour that my dad sort of bequeathed to me. You know, so he you you saying Little Woods, Big Woods reminds me of some of the greatest dad gags that my dad always used to come out with. In, in like 
when I I remember when when I was about four or five, Rhinestone Cowboy was was on the on the radio a lot, and and, and of course his version of it was Nine Stone Cowboy. Very good. He's a Nine, nine and, Stone Cowboy. Yeah. But that's a very very really like, moment. But do the do the youth of today really get you know? I mean, it seems like they're to, you know they're not into like crappy jokes like that now. I think no. it may be a thing of the past. I hope it's not. I hope it'll come back. I think that it's always latent. You know, I think. I think that they do. I think that they do like it when they hear it. I mean, I can see you reaching now for another notebook. Let give me another idea. Well, it is a note, the top of the page, and it is a. We did actually use this in House of Fools, but um, we did a, a, an episode where um, we were getting tattoos, and um, I said Bob's got a tattoo. He's got a B on each ass cheek, and it says Bob when he bends over, and he says. <laughs> And I said, and actually, when we were there on the day, I said, no, I said, when, what, so, and, and then join that on with, so actually, when I bend over, it says boob. <laughs> that's that's sophisticated comedy. That I've just got in another notebook, which is from, well, it says the Stotts here, but I'm going to apply this question to you. I'm going to ask you a question, like you're on um, Shooting Stars. Great. Sean. When applying the brake to your lawnmower, are you one slow and sensual, <laughs> two rough and energetic, or three on off on off on off? <laughs> I'm too rough and energetic always. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. I'm like the kind of person who like put it this way. Um, it was only about six years, five years ago, when I went back up north to to stay at my parents, massive Vic and Bob fans, and my mum she's so lovely you know she, she's so nurturing and she would never say anything that she thought for a moment might damage my ego but uh, I, I, I'd i broken something in the kitchen and she said mm, you know every time you come home you break something <laughs> and, and I'd never I never fucking realised that that's a catchphrase then isn't it <laughs> you should have that printed on a t-shirt every time you come home you break something <laughs> and then just the, the the crowd roars, you know. Yeah. All right. Oh, this, here's another one for you. Come on, just keep hitting us. This is what I love about yeah. this. Do you use a gloss or emulsion paint on your windows, or do you leave them clear so you can see out of them? <laughs> yeah. See, another the, another bit of very very clever comedy. <laughs> but the, but what is it though? This is the this leads me to a question. I don't want to ask too many questions. I just want to let the let the river flow. But like. When you when you do a a, a joke like I've, I mean I've written some down because some of them are just so iconic to me, you know like um, the one that like can have you farted Vic? No. What? Never. Yeah. That's that's a, that should be um, that should be chiselled into something, you know, like uh, you know in Washington D.C. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, can you smell onions? No. Well, even if I hold them really close. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you got- what is it? What What's going on there? Because it's like, it, it's extraordinarily childish. It's, you know, it, it, it's it's the sort of thing that maybe a nine-year-old might say to his friend and then they'd laugh. But there's another layer going on here. But it is like, you know, if you get two adults, and we were adult men, that are, you know, doing doing jokes that, are like like you say, a nine-year-old would do. This, it's like Laurel and Hardy, isn't it? You know, yeah. two babies in... in um, men's dressing you know so uh, that's really I suppose what it is but I always remember when I was 
really, when I was probably about 12, I used to think, I can't wait until I'm like in my 40s, then I can go around being an idiot and get away with it. And lo and behold. <laughs> you didn't even have to wait that I long, know. did you? We, we used to, you know, awful thing to do. I think everyone's done it, but, you know, making prank phone calls. And But I used to like doing ones where I say, um, I'm ringing up about the Alsatians that you've got for sale. And so I'm sorry you got the wrong number. So, no, I haven't. I want to buy all the Alsatians as well. Not just a few. I want them all. <laughs> oh, Christ. It's just the thought that somebody out there has had that call from Jim Moyer, you know, about th- about 40 years ago. And that's not realising they were part of some Dardaist, the beginning of a Dardaist career. In fact, I, I, that brings me on to something that I think you, you, will, you will already have heard this. But because you... You know, when when if you search Jim Jim Moy, if you search Vic and Bob, da da surrealism, Dali comes up right, and and I'll, I'll ask you a bit more about that in a sec. But whilst I was looking at this stuff, I, I found this quote about Salvador Dali. His favorite technique is that he would put a tin plate on the floor and then sit by a chair beside it, holding a spoon over the plate. He would then totally relax his body. Sometimes he would begin to fall asleep. The moment that he began to doze, the spoon would slip from his fingers and clang onto the plate, immediately waking him up to capture the surreal images. And I've heard that, so I, found, I was glad I finally found it, because I've heard versions of that, like Isaac Newton used to sit holding a fucking orange yeah. in his, in his chair, deck chair or something, because they, they, they found this sort of um, boundary between uh, consciousness and semi-consciousness was a very fecund area. I've never heard, I've never heard that. I like that idea of holding the spoon over the the, the plate though or you could you could hold a fag over a, a bucket for petrol for an even more <laughs> explosive dream <laughs> you wouldn't sleep through it would you you know what I mean it would definitely fucking yeah, wake you was, up but uh, yeah I don't know whether you, the, people have always applied you know surrealists and then Dardais I mean Dardais since I did a programme about Dardais but <clears throat> I've never really said that you know we're of, of that ilk I kind of like, uh, it's a nice thing to, for people to say, but I wouldn't, I don't know what I am or we are. Do you think that, uh, here we go, this is proper chip on shoulder working class coming from me, right? So I, I, I'm flagging that for the listener right now. Uh, however, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue. Um, is it a little bit of a class thing though sometimes? Like if you were, a, a fo- if you were footlights, you know, if, and I, I don't know why I'm adopting that voice now because that in itself... It's prejudicial to do it, but I can't help myself. But, you know, if you were, if you were a Cambridge Footlights graduate sort of thing, it, it feels like that people would apply those monikers to you very easily and say, well, obviously, you know, they, they studied uh, art history at uh, Cambridge and that's where it all comes from. But when you're sort of from Leeds and Lancashire and stuff, it, is it just a little bit more, we're just having a daft laugh? And then people apply that sort of intellectualism to it I afterwards. I think they probably do, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. And we could go into it in depth, but um, then it, yeah, it's, it gets a bit boring after a while. But it, I know what you mean. You know, it is. I think there would be quite a different headline if I was at the footlights. But I don't think they do. They wouldn't. I don't think they dare do deaths at footlights. 
they like if they do, they like to dress it up with a vicar's uniform on, you know, something. Yeah, they like to say, you know, so, ah, it's, it's, I see, it's um, it's a, it's an MP doing saying something stupid. It becomes satire. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm throwing out things like while I've got you and I've got you in vision, and it's like a dream come true in a sense because again. All my whenever I tell my mates we've got Jim on <clears throat> on the podcast that the, they sort of drop the spoon on the metal plate, you know, because we were all obsessed with this stuff. Like the man on the man, what's on the end of your stick, Vic, or the Ponderers, or Marvin and Otis. You know what? What was your your sort of process? What is your process when you're with Bob? I'm very interested in that. Like, is it is it just is there not that? That much prep? Are you improv- improvising a lot, or is it the opposite? Are you, are you doing a lot more prep than people oh, it's, think? Well, it's all prepped. What we like to do is um, is write it all, get it all pretty firm in our minds, and then do a really loose, loosely written um, script, which you'll have we'll have in front of us, and then. I think once you've done it, if you've written, you know, it's like if you've written something yourself, you remember it really well. So. Uh, we do that and then we just remember it and then mess about with it so it seems real, you know, so you got a good realistic angle to it as well. But we would spend, yeah, we spend, we work, if we're writing, we'll start at 9.30 till about 2.30 and then after that it seems to just get a bit weak. So we... Uh, that's the sort of that's the key yeah. moment the, the night the, the mornings basically and then you start thinking about like obnobs and cups of tea and tea it's tea but Bob doesn't go with the biscuits I don't know why <laughs> oh, I love yeah. a biscuit I've got um, some other th- I've got another oh, notebook here Just this is coming. a boast this I was I was the back of the T Rex in Jurassic Park which is suggesting that I, you know like a pantomime horse I played the back end. In the T Rex, you know, that'll be the boast of someone who's like, you might be Tirada. I played the back end of the of the T Rex, <laughs> Jurassic Park. I've been on set with Richard Attenborough, mate. I know what yeah. you know. The heady heights. Hit me again. Just, just, just whatever you've got. Just go into a, any brown notebook. Britain's top plus size model amphibian teddy boy with valves. Pretty tune. Is that the sort they sing in the country? So, you know, sometimes I write things down, and even if I can read the handwriting, I don't know what it's about. That brings me on to your art book and, and onto your art in general, actually, um, because that's is it arguable? Is it is it or, or, or sort of uncontroversial to say that it makes you happiest when you're sort of alone and creating suppose, art. Yeah, it does. I really like doing, you know, I love doing things like the big night out with Bob, you know, messing about there, but I consider that all art anyway, but I, I really like getting up in the morning and putting some ideas onto paper and um, and, uh, and doing things like I've just dropped a piece of paper here. We've got a yeah, list of aftershaves that. that I've made on oh. Gust, Lieutenant, Mad Rector, Corpus Christi, Zombie Kid, Wolfcock, Molten, oh, ingredients, moss, killer bees, fox sperm, brogues, plasticine, blubber, granites, 
Brogs, plasticine, blubber and granite. Very good idea, Sean, to have a look through old notebooks and force people to do it because it is very good. <laughs> Wolfcock is, is absolutely brilliant, isn't it? That's like pagan man. Yeah, how about this? I go around, I'm, look, I'm enjoying looking through my notebooks, Sean. Thank you for allowing me to do this. I go around... <laughs> This is another boast. I think I might do a book of boasts. You know, see, the ideas are starting to... You've, you've forced me into an area of that I never realised there was, but boast. I go around, I go around in a pink Model T Ford selling cheesecake and shortbread. I don't know what you do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, somebody's doing that right now. In, you uh... think they are? vehicles you know the ones that, that you don't get them too much you know you used to get the big orange one that's with kiara on it but but i think a pink model t selling shortbread because also there's something this it, what's lodged in my mind is that uh, quote from henry ford you can have any color as long as it's black but no mother no no mate no we've got a fucking pink one and we're selling shortbread and cheesecake out of it. I don't know what you're doing for a living. <laughs> I did, last year in lockdown, which I think forced a lot of people into um, into maybe doing things that they wouldn't necessarily do. But I, we had a 19... It was, it was my wife and me, really. That was it. it was, I can't say it was a party, but we had a 1970s dinner and I made a Model T Ford out of um, bread with the wheels made of pineapples. <laughs> And, and it had a Battenberg on the back of but it, and cheese, cheese sticks. It looked great. It tasted ridiculous. But, it, you know, that's when you get fine art and, and fine dining together. That's, you know, Heston Blumenthal can whistle, mate. That's not that's not where it's at. Oh, incidentally, before I forget, uh, to an obvious uh, observation, after, especially after talking about Wolfcock uh, and having aftershave of granite and brogues in it, um, did you ever do a smell of Reeves and Mortimer aftershave? No, but we should have done. I mean, I, I have often thought, because I really do like, I don't like aftershaves. I can't see the point of them. They just smell, you know, like burnt photocopier <laughs> and stuff like that for men. I mean, I like ladies' perfumes, and I'd really like to do one. But if I did, I don't think anyone would buy it, because they would just imagine it as a joke, and it probably would. But no, I'd do it really nice, but... Because I like my favourite um, scents are the ones I used to like going to my auntie's house and um, sniffing the bottom of a handbag, which was like, you know, Palmer Violets and marshmallows, like that, you know, like old lady sweets. And um, I think I probably have something like that. I call it old lady's handbag. And it'd, it'd smell really nice and be a very good perfume, but I don't think people would buy it. Another notebook here. Which, uh, Go on. <laughs> I'm looking at my son's right handwriting. It's my joke. It doesn't look much different now, but I reckon this is about 20 years old, this one. No, uh, no. Now, this is when a similes I was doing. Um, like, you know, like eyes, like a pair of peachy tarns <laughs> or curdled blood. Um, eyes like sulfurish lagoons. A mouth like a lizard's anus. 
that's really small and like pinched, you know, ooh, you know, like an old woman going, ooh, ooh, have you seen her up the road? Have you seen her at the top? Ooh, yeah, no, it is. It's, it's Les Dawson, isn't it? But that's, uh, you know, mouth like a lizard's anus. Lizard's anus? Mouth, mouth re- with re- lips like troubled magnets. So that's similes. You've got basically got a whole notebook or a part of a notebook dedicated to similes. A face like a sun-dried fart. Um, hair like a varmint. <laughs> I mean, that's a good old word, isn't it? I mean, uh, just to, just to completely sideline here, if you if you search for Vic Reeves in Spotify, an, an immense panoply of songs come up, of course, and you've been a number one hit maker. Um, we one of my favourite songs of all time is Mr. Songwriter, of course. Well, that was a kind of that was a parody on one of those, um, you know. Look, because I think there is probably some songs about songwriters, but and that was just me trying to do it, but do it quite badly and quite obviously. But I've just opened another notebook and the songs just turned up, and this was um, my friend uh, Mark Benton and me came up with about this would be about fifteen years ago. We started writing a, a, an idea for a film, and I think we were. We were in a band called Chiffon. That was the name of the band. And got, got really famous really quickly and, um, and then fell out. But one of the songs is, um, and this is why we never made it, I think. Come on, woman, help me lay the table. My nuts are free. <laughs> and can't you see, my horse has left the stable. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> My nuts are free, and can't you see? My horse has left the stable. It's lovely. It's a lovely meeting. It is a bit, it? a bit saucy, isn't it, for um, for daytime uh, charts. But it's what we it's all we expect from a band like yeah. Chiffon, isn't it? Uh, with Chiffon, there was, you know. there was um, Benno and me and a drummer called Finger, and we both. But I've just read. I haven't seen this for a long time. We both play. <laughs> we both play electric flutes. <laughs> Vocals and electric flute, so there'd be a competition so that's, there. That's well. difficult, isn't it? To, so one of you would be having to sing, well, accompanied by the other on electric flute, and then you'd have to swap, unless you could do that double breathing thing and sing and play at the same time. I've always really liked. I really like the sound of the flute, and I've also always thought they were very funny. And uh, the flute solos in the middle of anything is just, uh, you know, a joy to me. It doesn't have to be flute all the way. Just maybe in the middle somewhere. Yeah, just a little, t- a, a, an inflection of flute. Which is, then, that, <laughs> that'll be the album, A Touch of Flute. <laughs> touch of Flute. <laughs> I, lo- I think inflection of flute is another aftershave, isn't it? It is, I mean, yeah. Pretty, a touch of flute. Poor Lom. Um, and and w- would you say that you're someone who starts a lot of ideas and has trouble finishing them off, or are you a complete... No, I'm terrible. I'll, um, I've got to get things done within a certain amount of t- time. Otherwise, I've put them to one side and then forget about them. So that's why I've got books that are full of half-sketched-out ideas And because if, if I don't finish it off, it never gets finished off. I'm the same with paintings. I, get them, I have to get one done in a day 
usually because I just put them to one side and then return to them six years later. What are you currently working on uh, in any in any field of art? Uh, well, I'm talking with someone quite soon about making a book of um, of birds and uh, and facts and and paintings of birds, and then I've got a. Uh, uh, I took some photographs of uh, Michelangelo, of David, Michelangelo's David, and I'm um, I'm going to um, really twist it out of shape and do a pencil sketch, and then it's tea time. <laughs> oh, I'm so envious. I've got to be honest here. I'm, I am. I've said this to you before. I'm, I'm I am envious of of your lifestyle because it feels like. You've got it pretty cracked, really. Yeah, you've got to like, live your life to the best. You know, you don't need... I don't want to make, like, shitloads of money. I just want to live really nicely. Yeah. Let's just have an, another look at some of these notebooks that you've got. Just just pull out and randomly another couple of ideas for us to round <laughs> Right, up. and then this is a random selection of here. This but um, I could yeah. say to you, right, there's a pile of... Would you, would you pick out from the top? Would you pick out uh, from the fourth? Right, book one, down? two, three, four. That's this one. Uh, well, the first page, I'll, I'll just read out the page. Gas, birthday yeah, present. Clumsy woman who collects penguins' unicorns. Territorial army bloke and his methods of killing, bar fights, death grips, etc. Victorian family. <laughs> With butler, red arrows. Like, I don't know what any of this means, really. At all it's like you look back and think, "Well, what, what was what was I thinking?" An Irish Ted who was obsessed with love and luck. Doves in cage, painted on side. Horseshoes, hearts, eurythmics, faces, and cupids. Eurythmics, faces, and cupids. That that obvious, obviously, the faces of the eurythmics brings good luck to the Irish Teddy boy. <laughs> The faces of the Eurythmics brings good luck to the Irish teddy boy. It sounds like something that you'd say to a, a CIA operative on a fucking park bench. <laughs> um, yeah, well, do you want to do another one? Let's let's go, finally, to uh, book nine of Ooh, ten. Hello. The top, so the, the next from the bottom. And that's uh, this one here, which... Oh, it's got some paint got on it. It's got some paint on it, um... The, and it's got a drawing to it, like, that's, look, the four main floaties. And it's got, um, I was on holiday and I drew the main floaties that were in the in the pool. Oh, that's great. So he doesn't, what what Jimmy's not referring to is the thing you find in the toilet when you're flushed. But but when you're on holiday, the sort of inflatables that the kids use. So which ones were the, oh, mo- the, the main ones? A, a hoop with a flamingo head, a crocodile, <laughs> a lobster and a unicorn. The classic unicorn. That was the four main floaties. And then there's another drawing here on this page, which says, I, I was going to make this into a painting. I've lost four stone, so I think I deserve some implants. I haven't decided where yet. And it's just a drawing of a middle-aged man who's balding with, and he's yeah, topless. with his phone like that. Yeah, but and he's... Yeah, he's, he's photographing himself in the mirror. He's happy with his weight loss, but he doesn't know where Well, he's, he's lost some weight. So he's, he's, he deserves a, a prize, which is some implants. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that you, whatever, whatever, make, whatever gives you uplift, either physically or emotionally, is because what you should do. Because people um, will go, they'll go off to the, the, the supermarket, then on the way home, pop into it for a quick tattoo, 
and <laughs> an implant. <laughs> I'll be home soon, love. I'm just popping in for another quick tattoo and an implant. <laughs> You've re- you've reminded me of uh, the, the which is one of my stupid uh, mini jokes. That's not really a joke, but the biggest one of the biggest um, passenger uh, fe- ships um, cruisers pulled into Portsmouth Harbour last week, and they were going. You know they always do. They go. It's got three swimming pools and uh, five, fifteen shops and uh, fifty five uh, restaurants yeah. and a tattoo parlour. And I thought, it, I just had a vision of, because I know these fucking massive ships don't move about a lot, but I've got, I had an image of, of in a very big storm, you know, just sort of trying to get that. And every every tattoo that somebody has on this ship is just a squiggly line across their arse or something. Do you have a tattoo? I don't, do you? I have. Do you know they say um, uh, every tattoo brings you back like a special memory? And I'll never forget that anchor. It's, it's been an honour, it's been a privilege, it has been a pleasure. As I said before, this door is always open to the fecundity and the hilarity and the surreality of the notebooks and ideas of Jim Moyer, a.k.a. Vic Reeves. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. You truly are a ledge. What a great guest. What a wonderful exploration of creativity that was um what we want to do at the end of every podcast is bring you in okay and we want your ideas we want your lost ideas just like we've demonstrated in the earlier part of the podcast stuff that you've noted down doesn't matter how trivial or grandiose we want to hear your ideas sean's creative cul-de-sac at gmail.com send them there Sean's Creative Cul de Sac at gmail.com, or you can call us on 020 805 4484. That number again 020 805 4484. Do it because it'd be nice to have another voice on here. You know, it could be your voice. And uh, we've already received a few brilliant ideas. Can I just say here though, I think some people are getting slightly the wrong end of the stick. They think, I think they think that I'm some kind of nouveau publisher or something and they're sending me massive treatments for films and stuff and saying read it and get back to me maybe we can call an agent i can't provide that service i'm I'm more or less talking about the top lines of ideas that we can actually incorporate in the last five minutes of the show if you know what i mean though i'm happy to read through some of them maybe we can make some money but this week big love and to verdant mind shout out go to paddy bloomer Uh, who's actually made a sort of Wallace and Gromit style electric knife and fork. He's done this. He's got some kind of workshop and there's a video of it. I'll try and publish it on the website. Don't don't try this at home. Don't even try it in a hospital. He's got a flex around his neck and he's got a knife and fork. It's real. It's real. And he electrifies them and he demonstrates it with a gherkin. And he says, oh, you can cook your food while you're cutting it up. It's terrifying. And it's sort of genius in a Wallace and Gromit stroke, this will kill you kind of way. So congratulations to Paddy for that. I don't know how many patent offices are going to be uh, battering your door down there. Leo Higgins simply sent an email that said, VR goggles for dogs? Actually, this, this posits an interesting philosophical point, I think. I'm not much of a cat or dog person myself. I know that makes me weird in the United Kingdom. 
But if in the near or distant future everything goes Ready Player One, everything goes VR, right? And we all enter this metaverse, this kind of uh, Zuckerberg wet dream, do you take your dogs along for the ride? Maybe Leo was being uh, sort of facile in his suggestion, but maybe he's onto something. If you're going to enter the metaverse, do you want to take Rex with you? And would it work? Uh, these are interesting questions that have been thrown up by Leo. And finally, this is from the venerable and brilliant Sophie Jane Hindley. Sophie, Rita, Ty, Sophie, Rosa. She says, I've got an idea for anti-spillage pub tables. It came to me and my pal Dora in a new cross pub back in 99 whilst at uni. It's a table, imagine this, you can put plates on, well, it wouldn't be a table otherwise, but has cup holder type recesses cut out for pints and wine glasses. The recesses have an easy clean drainage feature, which is designed to stop spilling your pints, minimise if not fully eradicate spillage onto tabletops, floors or the punter's clothes. We drew it onto a paper napkin, which subsequently was lost, owing to yet another spilled, spilled pint the same night. So there's a real irony there. But is Sophie onto something? I don't know. We'll be back again next week, and we want your ideas in this slot. Sean's Creative Cul-de-Sac at gmail.com or 020-805-4484. Keep your thinking caps on till we speak next week.